everybody. Happy Mondays. Welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Morning, Jason. Hey. Morning, Susie. Happy Monday. Crashing into the deadline because I'm literally still writing the script as the, as the credits end. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Those of us listening later on podcast, uh, I'm afraid you're just going to have to howl at the stars. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the latest development in the cost of living crisis, which is the boss of energy company E.ON demanding more government intervention and predicting that one in eight people, no, it's not even predicting, saying one in eight people already struggle to pay their bills. Michael Lewis says people are at the edge and it will get worse. Now, can you explain something to me here, Jason? E.ON made a profit of £6 billion last year. If the energy company bosses think people can't afford to pay it, why don't the energy companies lower their prices? Okay, I, I, I'm going to be slightly fair to an energy company for the first time in my life. Um, E.ON is a, a German-owned company, and it was £6 billion profit was the, its international operations. Um, I think its profit in the UK was 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 actually a slightly less than that, about kind of, you know, but it was substantial. Oh, so, few, only a few billion. Oh, okay, fair yeah, enough. So about 840, I think. So, <laughs> yes, there is... There is um, there is a there is a question of whether the energy companies can do more. Though in this instance, the fundamental problem is not the energy companies, but the oil and gas companies which are extracting the energy they use. Now, those are the ones who are profiteering. Um, that's the, the Shells and BPs because they're doing absolutely nothing. But because of the squeezing global energy prices, they are making vast fortunes. They both recorded record profits in the last quarter of last year. Now, that's where the windfall tax should go. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean the energy companies shouldn't necessarily do more, but the real villains in this piece are the oil and gas companies. But why can't then, why can't someone have a word with the energy suppliers, the, not the suppliers, sorry, the, actually the energy extraction companies, the Shell and the BP and mm. the energy providers, and say, I, all right, I appreciate that there's a war on. And I appreciate that, you know, the market has changed because Russia now suddenly no one wants to buy their oil and gas and therefore you're putting the price up of what you've got and there's less of it. Mm. But could you possibly make it a bit more reasonable? Well, that is the, 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 the key question. And, and very politely, the, 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 the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, is being asking that exact question. Um, in the kind of vain hope that the, the, the energy companies might do something, but they're sitting there going, no, thank you, we're making lovely, lovely profits. So so, so Sunak's kind of um, line at the moment is, as he edges towards this windfall tax, which is looking more and more inevitable, is to say, look, you start doing something, um, particularly invest in more renewables, and we may hold off on the windfall tax. Uh, uh, it hasn't worked at all. I mean, they, they, they have invested, but not necessarily in renewables and not necessarily in the UK. Um, so um, Sunak is now kind of in this jam of having kind of threatened them. They haven't reacted. Um, so he needs to do something. Um, and as, you know, the boss of E.ON said, 20% of people now are in full poverty, that could rise to 40% come October when, when we start turning our heating on again and it gets cold. This is a staggering number of people who are going to face real hardship. And it, and it's, you know, I mean, it hits the poorest the hardest, but it does go quite a long way up the income scale. You know, if your fuel bill is is suddenly going from up to kind of, you know, 300 pounds a month, 
that's unaffordable for most people. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's not just people at the bottom, it's people in the middle as well. Now, Sean says, if you put tax on them, they'll just pass it down to us. He has a point, doesn't he? You could, you could put a, a tax on uh, energy companies and they would just say, well, thank you very much, and they'll just add it to their bills. But um, isn't there some way of levying a windfall tax? Didn't Gordon Brown do this that actually sort of stopped it being passed on? Well, actually, there's a, there's a long history of windfall taxes. And one of the interesting things going on is, is, is the, the, the briefings um, over weekend was that Downing Street is one resisting the um, windfall tax, I 10 Downing Street. Um, um, and they're the ones who are arguing, the, the quote which came out was that, that people close to Boris Johnson say it's unconservative. Um, now, it's not unconservative, <laughs> but not only, um, as you mentioned before, did Gordon Brown do a windfall tax. Uh, Margaret Thatcher in the early 1980s did two. She did one on oil and gas and one on the banks. Um, so how about squares being unconservative? I don't know. Um, and, and I remember when Gordon Brown first kind of raised the prospect of a windfall tax, which he subsequently went on to introduce. There were kind of howls from the Tories going, oh, this will deter investment, this will, you know, they'll just pass them across. None of that happened. They coughed up, the money was used, yeah? Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, there's, 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 you know, even the oil and gas giants have said, you know, that a windfall tax won't deter them from investing. They have to invest, that's their business, yeah? So, no, I, I don't follow that argument at all. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the main sticking point, well, there's two sticking points. Is one is they don't want to give ground to, 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 to Labour. This was Labour's original idea. Keir Starmer may get running with it. He's been, you know, saying, and right from the beginning, that a windfall tax is one of the fairest ways to help people. Um, it wouldn't resolve all the issues, but it would, you know, probably hand people a kind of at least £400 towards the cost of energy bills. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it is politically humiliating for the Tories to have to take the lead of a person they labelled as Captain Hindsight. That, that's inconvenient for them. Uh, against that is this kind of, you know, the, the, the huge political pressure um, to actually do something. And, and you don't have to look very far. You look at the um, Australian general election over weekend, the two key issues were cost of living and climate change, not yeah. culture wars, not war and, the, and woke. The Tories and Labour. Cost of living, climate change. Yeah, and <laughs> both main parties have had people in Australia working with those election teams, so they will be getting feedback as to what the, mm. um, how things worked, what the messages were, and what the the effects and how people are feeling. So there will be some of that feeding back into our own next general election, mm. perhaps. Now get into the comments, ask us your questions. What do you think Rishi Sunak should do? And don't just say tax. Um, mm -hmm. You know why? Why do you think that should work? What do you think the problems would be? How can he deal with this? Um, Mina says. The government should be stepping in to help the people. Other countries are helping their citizens. Other countries are doing a lot more, aren't they, Jason? And it, it does seem that, you know, one in eight people is 12% of customers at the moment in good weather can't afford really to pay their, their electricity bills, heating bills. And Mr Lewis here reckons that up to 40% will be struggling to pay their bills by October. And he says that's how many his company reckon will be in fuel poverty mm. by the winter. That is paying more than a tenth of their household income just mm. on energy and fuel. And he declined to say when asked whether there should be a windfall tax, but he did urge the government to tax those with the broadest shoulders, quote unquote. But that's the opposite of what's happening at the moment, isn't it, Jason? That the national insurance rise, for example, disproportionately 
affects those who earn the least, even those perhaps who aren't paying income tax are going to have to be paying more in national insurance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, I mean, the problem with national insurance is it it, it hits the, the low paid and and the youngest the worst, while uh, pensioners who are, are sitting on quite a lot of wealth from equity in their homes didn't get taxed at all from it, apart from those few mon- minority of pensioners who actually do work. So it, it was a it was a very blunt tax uh, to to raise money. Um, to come back to the question earlier, which which somebody asked is, you know, other countries doing more? Yes, they are. I mean, France has you know capped its 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 um, energy prices um, at four percent, um, and they're able to do this for, for, for one main reason is they have a lot of nuclear power, which we fail to invest in. Um, um, so this is going to we're, we're we're paying the price now for a historic um, legacy of, of of poor decisions. Um, by governments over many years, but particularly this conservative government, um, which, which wound down our, our our storage facilities for gas, so we couldn't companies couldn't actually put the gas aside for when they need it, and therefore keep prices lower, and and fail to to invest in in a energy kind of structure. So we actually have you know less nuclear. I know there's arguments over nuclear. But it is actually a slightly greener way of producing energy than fossil fuels. Ooh, um, would, uh, take take some take <laughs> some uh, question about greener, but less carbon. Yeah. I think it's not yeah. it's not so carbon heavy, but it's definitely quite. Yeah. Um, but it's also you can see from France that it is actually helping keep prices down. And interestingly, France also has a lot lower rate of inflation than we do. <laughs> yes, uh, <clears throat> there are a number of things that are all feeding into it, isn't it? Now Tony says he should charge the billionaires to pay for the poorest in society. Trouble is, Tony, it's the billionaires who go to dinner at Downing Street, not the poorest in society. I've said before, and I've said it again, right? Every time that the Prime Minister has a, a dinner privately with people who are giving him ideas about policies and this, that and the other, which is absolutely fine by me, and millionaires and billionaires have a right to be at that table and people who run businesses, there should be someone there from a local football club. There should be a single mum. There should be a disabled person. There should just be... A range of people in there saying you should do this, that, or the other. You know, a people's panel or something, if you like, that goes to have dinner with the prime minister, rather than this business of paying two hundred and fifty grand a year and you get to go and have steak at Downing Street and have a word in his shell, like about <clears throat> who you'd like him to tax, which is anybody other than yourself. Now, Tom says, who has the money to pay thousands of pounds to fill their oil tank? Not everyone has town gas. I'm a pensioner with no money in the bank or stocks and shares or property. I object to your guest generalisation that we are rich. Naughty, Jason. There uh, are... yeah. <clears throat> totally fair point from, from Tom. There's a lot of pensioners in poverty. I, I, I get that. I was talking about the unequal distribution of wealth in this country. Yeah, and is... to be fair to Jason, Tom, he did mention uh, pensioners who are still working, which, of course, are generally people who can't afford to retire. Um, and I'm with you totally on oil. I'm uh, in a rural oil-fired central heating. I can't afford to do anything else. And people like you and me have to buy all their year's energy in one go, which is always a bit sticky. Uh, and it's usually about 500 quid for my tank. Uh, after Russia invaded Ukraine, it went up to 1,500 Uh, and it's still a thousand to fill up my tank Uh, i'm sitting there on the last few drops at the moment just hoping against hope that when i do have to finally i can't leave it any longer i do have to fill it up that it may come down a bit more (sighs) we shall see won't we now keep asking your questions 
Let us know what you think. Now, Jason, there's one last point I want to make on this because numbers 10 and 11 Downing Street, mm. they seem to be at loggerheads about this. Uh, they're yeah. an impasse. The Treasury's briefing, they're, they're thinking about a windfall tax, but not an emergency budget. Mm. Number 10 is apparently talking about an emergency budget, but not a windfall tax because they're ideologically opposed to it, which means total paralysis. And they seem they seem unsure what to do. But am I being cynical, Jason? Is there a chance that they're holding off on a big announcement until, let's say, the day after the Sue Gray report is published? <laughs> I, 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 what we've been told is not to expect anything this week. Um, so, and the House Parliament rises on Thursday for the um, half-term and jubilee pandango. Um, the problem is, for, politically for the Tories, is the longer they leave it, the more they look like they're dithering and therefore they don't understand the crisis. But when they do act uh, <clears throat> and something has to happen, um, that they won't get any gratitude for it and, um, and it won't be enough. And that's the, the biggest headache is trying to find a package of reforms um, and support, which actually people really generally notice and are, are grateful for. Yeah. Um, you know, Johnson has told the Welsh Conservative Conference last week, you know, that, that, that work is, is the best way to help people with a cost of living, slightly ignoring the fact that... He's he, just taxed work. Well, he, one, he's taxed work, and actually 67% of families in poverty have at least one person in work anyway. So stagnant wages at a time of rising inflation ain't helping. Um so they are, as you say, but they are they are at loggerheads over the kind of the best way to help. They they can't see a, a a plan which suits everybody, and when they do produce something, it's got to be pretty substantial. And just saying, oh, like we're going to cut income tax, that's not going to wash when you just put up national insurance. Um, saying we'll cut corporation tax or business help with business taxes, that's not going to help when you put corporation tax up. So they are just kind of remedying or undoing stuff they've already done, nobody's going to be grateful for that. They're going to say, why did you do it in the first place? Exactly, yeah. I mean, Rishi was saying a few days ago, wasn't he, we're going to lower your taxes in autumn to business. Well, you have just put it up by 6%. Mm. So, okay, lower it again. Fine, thank you very mm. much. But I don't feel rich than I did before you came into power. So, mm. oh, you're right. Is it going to make any effect? PJ says... Sunak already has the fiscal headroom now to help people without a windfall tax. He's saving it for an election tax cut. He should use that to reinstate the cut to universal credit. The election's still two years away, isn't it, Jason? So if he's saving it for a tax cut in two years' time, I mean, what's well, going to happen now and then? I, I agree that the first thing <laughs> he should do is is, is reinstate the, the £20 a week cut to the universal credit. I mean, those are the people who are feeling the most pain and need the most help. Um, and they're the people who are, are really struggling. Um, and it was, you know, that should have never been cut in the first place, particularly when all the headroom, headwinds were showing that more pain was going to come down the track. Um, in terms of how much fiscal headroom he's got, that's actually debatable. I mean, inflation is increasing the cost of government borrowing quite substantially and eating into any kind of, you know, Kind of nest egg he may have so um actually he doesn't have a great deal of room to maneuver i mean but that never stops chances ahead of election 
trying to do giveaways anyway, whether they can afford it or not. Because you know, yeah. hey, you've got to try and win somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, we shall see what we shall see, won't we, in the next few yeah. uh, days and weeks and months, and have to see how things pan out. Um, keep asking your questions, everybody. What do you think about? Uh, Rishi Sunak's fiscal headroom. Do you think he should be lifting universal credit there, as PJ said? Uh, it is that kind of thing and making sort of efforts towards people who are already on the winter fuel allowance and who are already getting the warm homes discount and people who are already on prepayment meters. They'd be the ones you would think that it would be best to help, but <clears throat> they don't seem to exist uh, in Downing Street. So uh, we need to move on now to some other news. And just when you thought the plague was over, a new one comes along. Now, the monkeypox outbreak has led to an uptick of cases in much of the world, uh, an uptick of cases in Spain, Belgium, Australia, Portugal, Canada, the United States and here, where reportedly now a child is in intensive care with the disease. We don't know if it's because of the disease or complications or that it's happened to have caught it and then in intensive care or something else. But mercifully, the mirror is actually using photographs of monkey monkeypox lesions on white skin because it doesn't just affect black people, despite the pictures some papers have been using a lot of, nor does it only affect the bi or gay community, although there does seem to be a link with some of the early cases being transmitted. And there is now, we're told, the thing to worry about, community transmission. We all know what that means after the last two years, from one person to another who are not in any way connected to each other. So, Jason, do we need to be worried about this? Is it is it possible monkeypox is, as some have said, filling the space that's been left by the eradication of smallpox, which killed mm -hmm. millions? Well, I, I first thing to say is every single medical, medical expert is stressing this is nothing like COVID in any way or form. Um, yes, it's worrying, but so far, touch wood, nobody in the UK has actually died from it yet. And although there's not a direct vaccine, the smallpox vaccines do work effectively against it. So... Um, as far as I understand. So, I, I mean, yes, people should be careful. Um, it makes sense that they've asked people who've caught it to self-isolate for 21 days. Um, I'm slightly surprised they didn't do that immediately, um, but I don't think we should be too alarmed just yet. He says this with no medical knowledge whatsoever. So <laughs> well, they're talking people. about, they're talking <laughs> about ring vaccination, which is when there's one person say, if I've got a come down mm. with monkeypox and uh, report it to somebody, then everyone mm. I've had contact with gets vaccinated yeah. around me in a, in a protective little donut. And mm. they think that you can get protection sort of within four days and it obviously reduces your ability to transmit it and it reduces the uh, symptoms for you as well. <clears throat> and they reckon that would be enough as opposed to having to do the blanket vaccinations across the yeah. country that we've seen. So fingers crossed that monkeypox is just having its moment. Uh, it was discovered in the 1950s. It has been around for a while. It does appear to be a very stable virus, according to virologists. So it's not likely to mutate and do lots of horrible, whizzy new things like COVID does because it's a new virus. It's trying to find its place in the world mm -hmm. and is mutating all the time. So hopefully, as Jason said, uh, we don't have too much to worry about. But if you see someone with a, with a separating lesion, perhaps don't give them a hug. Uh, right now we do need to move on because uh, there's some good news in the world and this is a really nice one but first off if you've got any questions about monkeypox if you've got any questions about uh, the cost of living um, or how you feel that the government is or is not tackling the energy crisis let us know get into the comments and we'll do a wrap up at the end but first off here is some lovely good news to think about Now, this is a chap called Felix Gretterson. 
from Iceland. Now, he thought he'd never be able to hug his daughter or his grandchildren again after having both his arms amputated after being electrocuted at work. But Felix was absolutely determined that he was going to hug them again. So he found through his own persistence, he managed to find a surgeon and persuaded that surgeon to make him the first world's first double arm amputee uh, transplant um, I don't even know what I'm saying. The first double arm transplant. So he was an amputee and then he became the first double arm transplant. And it works. It works, Jason. He's, he can feel things he said that he's saying in the copy here. He can put his hand out the window and feels the breeze on his skin. And he's able for the first time there to cuddle his, uh, his granddaughter, which is absolutely amazing. And Jason, I mean, he moved from Iceland to France in order to find the surgeon and get this done. Is this proof, do you think, that people really will move heaven and earth just for a hug? I think it's incredible. I mean, you know, there's these lovely pictures of him hugging his daughter and grandchildren for the first time. He's driving again. I mean, it, it, it's just extraordinary. And and they, I, what I think is most impressive is his perseverance to find a doctor who's willing to undertake pioneering surgery with, with, with no um, certainty it would work. And, and yet it did. And yeah. Usually it's doctors have found a new technique and then they hunt for the right patient to try yeah. it out. And here is the case of the patients just he's moved yeah. a quarter of the way across the planet in order to, to try and find someone who will do it for him. I know. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, these doctors are just extraordinary. I mean, I, you know, the fact that I'm still, you know, ever since kind of Christian Barnard did a heart transplant, you thought that was, you know, unreal. And, you know, kind of here we are kind of 60 years on and we've got two arms being replaced. I just kind of, you know, it gives you hope and yeah. admire the, the sheer brilliance of these people who can do this sort of thing. Well, of course. I mean, a heart transplant, of course, involves, you know, stapling some fairly big tubes together, uh, she said, being technical. Uh, whereas <laughs> whereas uh, a double arm transplant involves reattaching lots of nerves, which are tiny, delicate. How on earth do you reattach a nerve? I yeah. don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of stitching, isn't it? I mean, I'm, just, I'm no well, medical expert, as I said. But, I think yeah. you have to glue them inside. I don't, I, I, do you know? Get into the comments and listen. <laughs> how do you reattach a nerve? I, I think it's stapling. I'm not sure. It, it's it will be a new feature in Mamua's crafting section shortly. <laughs> once, once you've done your Jubilee toys. <laughs> Find out how to reattach nerve endings. That would be handy, wouldn't it? Um, so now Tony says, this monkeypox is another way to divide people. The Tories and the World Economic Forum are very clever how this is all planned. Mm. All right, Tony. Um Thanks for that. I don't even know what to say about that, but uh, I'm pretty certain that no one plans to give themselves monkeypox uh, and it doesn't get spread about quite like that. Uh, and the World Economic Forum, I think, has got other issues on its plate right now rather than trying to make things worse. Jackie says, if Labour and the mainstream media could blame it on Boris, they absolutely would. Are we still on monkeypox? Yeah, we would blame it on Boris if he was responsible for it. Doesn't yeah. seem to be at the moment. Yeah. And can we, can we just deal with this? Because this comes up a lot. But, but they, they talk about Partygate because it's all the media's fault. And, and I have two questions uh, or responses to this. Is, is, is one, would they rather we came across the prime minister who's now been proven to have broken the law and presided over a culture in number 10 where people were willfully partying while others were making amazing sacrifices because of COVID and we didn't report it? I mean, is that what they're asking? And, and, and secondly, 
Um, it's not us who's misbehaved. It's the prime minister. Um, we're not actually, you know, blaming him. He's the one responsible for this all. And I just think that he's pointing out occasionally. It's always the messenger that gets shot, Jason. Yeah, You've I know. Been a journalist for a long time, as have I, and it's always mm. us that gets the yeah. blame, pointing out what yeah. someone else yeah. has yeah. done. Next time, I we just stitch. we see the prime minister doing something wrong, and we're just going to walk on by and not mention it at all, because obviously that's healthier for democracy, um, and that's what people really want. Yeah, I'm pretty certain there have been complaints about that sort of thing in the past. Now, uh, PJ says, does this government's dither and delay over what to do about the cost of living crisis remind you of their dither and delay at the start of the pandemic? It reminds me a bit of the um, sort of the end times of Major's government, you know, when the, that sort of long period of Tory rule was coming to an end. Do you think it's related to the same kind of problems as the pandemic there, like PJ says, Jason, or is it is it sort of, you know... End of an era type stuff. I was really interested. I was having a conversation with, with a, a, a very senior conservative um, over the weekend, and he said this all has the kind of feel of the kind of the electoral cycle of when he started in politics in the early 1990s. And I think, uh, you know, that's quite that's a Tory saying that, not me. But, you know, there is this kind of uh, the, you know, the, the, the wheels are turning round, and you're seeing, as you mentioned, you know, the kind of the the, the dog end of a Tory administration like we saw under Major. We're seeing you know, the countries, not just here, but in Australia, in Germany, in Spain, in all um, the Nordic countries, they've all gone to the left. You've seen Biden in, in America. And, and I think we're just catching up on, on that, that, that shift. Yeah, and it's not to do with party politics at all but I do think that when any one party's been in power for a long period they get to the point where they usually get elected because they can sense what the public are feeling and they get to the end of that period perhaps 10-15 years later and they have lost that connection with the public and they start to think they ought to be there and when you get that disconnect and we saw it at the end of the Blair and Brown years and we saw it at the end of the Major and Thatcher years when they get to that point game over lights out and i think we're getting near there anyway we shall see won't we if uh, jason's right about monkeypox and if i'm right about the electoral cycle let's yeah. wait and see um we'll see you all thank you for joining us jason thank you everyone for talking i love talking about medical issues which i know so much about <laughs> i'm going to go and google how you reattach nerves now <laughs> um do, if you're listening on podcast please leave us a review so other people can find us we will see you all again everybody for another edition of the news agenda after half term so in june blazing june it'll be amazing then everything will have been sorted out we'll all be so much happier and more tanned anyway thanks for taking part bye bye everybody everybody.